The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And we have a special edition today. Not only do we have Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood, California, this is the last podcast we're doing for the year. And uh, Jody, thank you very much for being here and for uh, participating in our last podcast of 2021. Such is an honor it is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, so I guess the first, uh, I guess the first question is: We've had some Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court decisions. What does that mean now, looking forward, not only for California but for the country, from your perch at Planned Parenthood out here? Well, we have um, Texas going through right now. So Texas has already been impacted. They've instituted an abortion ban. The Supreme Court has decided that people can sue over it, but it's still in effect. And so um, there, there's an impact just on that one state right now. We're getting a trickle of patients, an average of two to three a day. But states like Oklahoma City have been really impacted um, and it certainly has an impact on how other folks are reacting. And we can talk about that a little later, but even our own governor who decided, uh, announced he would do a proposal about guns that sort of emulated and pointed out what can happen if you institute mechanisms like SB8. And then we have the Mississippi case going through right now. We just heard the arguments in December. That decision will happen and we assume late June. And that is the case that's taking a direct shot at Roe v. Wade, which has been in place, as you know, for almost 50 years. And based on the arguments we heard, it does seem like the justices are poised to either overturn Roe v. Wade or really gut the heart of it. And um, all of the analysis shows that that affects about 26 states throughout the country. So really huge impact. I don't think we can even wrap our minds around it since most of us have lived our whole life with that constitutional protection. And I don't remember the last time the Supreme Court took away a right like that, especially one that's been here for close to 50 years. It, it, the fact that um, the court said that in the Texas case, that challenges can continue to be filed, that it can be challenged, is that basically sort of um, boilerplate that doesn't mean much? Or are there challenges being filed? How would that affect the ultimate outcome of that case? Or do you have any idea about that? I mean, I think we don't know because I don't think anyone expected that they would allow this type of mechanism. I mean, as of today, we have a constitutional protection to make decisions about our healthcare. So we have a constitutional abortion right today. And what Texas did is said, despite it being unconstitutional or passing a ban. And by the way, plenty of other states do that same thing. That's why many states are poised to go into effect should Mississippi, that case, yeah. overturn Roe. So they're not the first state to do this. But what happens is because it's unconstitutional, it just never goes anywhere. It's deemed unconstitutional and it, and it just goes, you know, it has a stay. Um, but what Texas did is said, well, we're not going to have any state mechanism enforce it. It'll be enforced by a private right of action in which the court said, well, we don't actually have jurisdiction to stop somebody from suing 
we could stop the state from enforcing, but we don't have the ability to stop someone from a private lawsuit. And so it's remained in effect. And so, you know, really, I don't think anyone expected the Supreme Court to allow something like that to go into a, into place because it's really lawlessness at that point. You're saying something that's unconstitutional can go into effect if there's a different mechanism on how it's enforced. Um, and yet here we are. So they did rule that um, people could move ahead with their lawsuits against it. And, you know, Planned Parenthood Federation will continue to do that as well. Um, some some other the coalition of folks down there, but I, I don't know how they will rule. And it cer- certainly gave a pathway for other states, and they will. Um, other folks have other states have already announced that they'll do the same thing. Um, but it it also gave a pretty good tell on what they're going to do on the Mississippi case, which would make this whole argument sort of null and void anyway. Now the Mississippi case is still going through the process, right? Yeah. Uh, how, if the court rules, philosophically, we expect the court ultimately to repeal Roe v. Wade. But if the court rules in Mississippi in the same way, similar way that it ruled in Texas, what does what does that mean? Well, that that isn't the the what's in front of the Supreme Court for Mississippi is not the same argument that's in front of the um, Supreme Court for Texas. So, Texas, it's really clearly unconstitutional right now. Um, it's the mechanism by how it's enforced that's in front of the Supreme Court. Um, for Mississippi, it's really the heart of Roe v. Wade, and that that is whether or not a state can intervene and ban abortions up until a certain time frame. Right now, the Supreme Court has upheld, and, and all of these arguments were heard 30 years ago in a case called Casey, um, and it was reaffirmed that viability is the point at which um, up until viability, people have the right to make decisions about their body and the state cannot intervene in that. What Mississippi is trying to do is ban abortion specifically at 15 weeks. And there's no um, legal argument for that particular, like a 15 week ban. And so I think it's it's if they got viability altogether or just overturn Roe altogether and send it back to the states, then everyone will do their own specific ban at whatever week they want. So in Texas, it's six weeks. So it's it's a very clear unconstitutional ban. It's, um, you know, but because it's enforced by a private right of action, it's still moving through. So there, there are two different decisions. My guess is, I mean, if you listen to the arguments, it seems pretty clear where the that vote is and that they will um, remove viability altogether or just send the whole thing, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade altogether. Um, at that point, my guess is Texas would just change how they wrote their, their law. So they'll just then have it enforced under regular enforcement mechanisms at that point. So if, if Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, repealed tomorrow, overturned tomorrow, Mm-hmm. By my very rough count, I've got 19 states. I'm getting this from uh, Gutmaker, the yeah. that tracks this stuff. 19 states now have accessibility um, to um, to pro-choice rights, mm-hmm. and the rest either do not, or they have laws in place that are waiting for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, and they will then uh, follow that lead. 
So yeah. I guess one question I've got is, I, I sort of see this, if this happens, if Roe v. Wade is repealed, then there's going to be something of a migration of women who want to have uh, abortions going to various states. So states will have more, uh, this, abortions will not be prevented entirely. It'll just be a question of traveling to other states where it's legal. Is that Oh, okay. sure. Yeah. I mean, just because people ban an essential health service doesn't mean that people still won't need need that service. And um, and we've known that and those statistics to be true. I think that the challenge is, it, you know, every prediction looks at about 25, 26 states that will um, pretty quickly ban abortion at some level, however they write that law. Um, so then you're talking about 36 million, um, the other half of the country is about 36 million women of reproductive age that will at some point in their life, you know, one out of four women right now have an abortion. So you do the math, that's a whole lot of people that need services. And so what it then comes down to is um, who can afford to travel, right? And so again, I point back to Texas because it's only one state and it's almost completely banned abortions. I mean, six weeks is sort of, most people are just finding out if they are pregnant at six weeks. Um, So, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, for instance, in the state close by went from a three day wait time for an appointment to about three weeks. And so, you know, if you look at the Guttmacher Institute and their predictions for California alone, they predict predict a 3000% increase in people who will find California as their closest state if Roe is overturned, and that's mostly from Arizona, or California is their closest health clinic. Um, Mostly from Arizona, that's about one and a half million people. Texas isn't anywhere on that map of the prediction that people would travel all the way to California, yet they are. And that's just with one state impacting the closer states. So in the weeks after the Texas ban, we, we saw an average of two to three patients coming um, to California and, you know, keeping in mind, those are people that can afford to travel. And so um, it's, you know, we will see an impact and, and unfortunately we'll see those really bad health outcomes that happen when you, um, you know, when the state takes over decision-making for someone's healthcare and it, and it happens, there's an economic impact, there's an educational opportunity impact, there's certainly health outcomes, um, they talked about on the Supreme Court arguments that in Mississippi alone, where this case is being heard, there, there is only one abortion provider in that whole entire state right now. And so it's already access is already severely limited. But but healthcare in general for especially for women is not good in that state. And you have a 75 times greater risk of a bad health outcome from giving birth in that state than you do if you have a first trimester abortion. And so you're really talking about then you're, you know, the state putting on people to take on a risk like that. And then also all of the outcomes that go along with um, someone being forced to, to give birth. So you know, we're we're doing what we can to plan and prepare so that we can be a state where um, we can help people. And, and if people are here, that we certainly are not impacted in our wait times and being able to ensure we can um, have access for patients. But but I think we'll see a real 
quick and bad health outcomes based have on you made any projections um do you have any just you know seat of the pants estimates of what this might mean in an increase in terms of your load in terms of planned parenthood load and the medical load here in california if this if roe v wade is is uh, overturned yeah i mean we can look at all the variables of um like i said they're looking at one and a half million people, if you do the math on one in four people needing an abortion, but it also, and then how many we do generally here in California, it's some, I think the last count was 135,000, something like that. Um, But I think a lot of it, again, depends on so much on if people can access travel and childcare and and what they need. I mean, we've heard it's, I think, and I, I keep saying, honestly, what keeps me up at night. What scares me is if we don't see that influx of patients, because what that means is people are not getting care. They're not able to travel and get the care that they need. And then we'll see those those outcomes happen when it comes to, you know, economic impact and all those, all the other factors that happen. Um, But I mean, we, I, I was talking to my colleague in Texas and, you know, they're, they're still getting calls and outreach and trying to help people navigate. Um, but you have young people who have never traveled outside of the state of Texas before ever. They've never done that. They're young and now they're having to figure out where to go and what airport to get, you know, and how to get to a health clinic and get an appointment and figure out the cost. And it's just, you know, it's such a burden to put on people to have to travel outside of the state they live in to get an essential health service that's also time sensitive. So, um, you know, we're, we're, I, I, people are, we're devastated that this is coming, but we're also just putting in the work to prepare for it in California. Can you talk about the, uh, the pill, the, F, the FDA just approved a pill uh, that can now be accessed by anyone? Uh, I think last week. And is that going to have an impact? Do you think that was related to these decisions? Uh, can you talk about the impact that may have? Yeah, I mean, I think it ex- these decisions certainly expedited the urgency for it. It's been in front of the FDA for a while. Um, you know, what, what they decided is those the pill can be mailed, so it doesn't require somebody to come into a health center to receive them. Um, so it, it's definitely has the, the potential for increasing access for patients, no question. I think um, some of the factors that still exist is cost. So whether people can pay for it, um, how, you know, we still have honestly in front of California, even a proposal in front of our Department of Healthcare Services to ensure that they are reimbursing um, that, that service in a, at a rate that providers can actually provide the service via telehealth because you do need all of the equipment and the providers and all the same things. Um, But it's a very different payment rate if you come in 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 person versus telehealth right now. Um, So, I mean, there's there's other factors. And then Texas, of course, because as uh, they do, they already passed a law that bans medication abortion via telehealth. So the states that ban abortion are gonna ban it, whatever the mechanism is, I think. Um, but it certainly helps with access in states like ours so that we have more inpatient availability for people that are traveling across the border. So it, it will have an impact. 
And so to get that pill, you do need to have a prescription. It's not something you would just, a person could just order offline. It would have to be prescribed by a doctor or a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. That's right. And is it available now? It is. It's available now. I mean, if you come in person, you can certainly get it. Actually, the state of California, we are ahead of the curve. We passed um, legislation a few years ago that requires UC campuses to actually provide medication abortion should someone seek it on campus. So um, it's, it, it has been available. This just allows it to be um, somebody to be able to receive it via telehealth and have the pills mailed to them like any other prescription. So it would be treated like any other prescription. Um, but, you know, for a lot of folks that work or have childcare issues or, um, or in a more rural area there, it's more accessible in that way. And it also then frees up health centers to have more in-person appointments available. You know, I saw some figures that said the, um, the numbers of abortions in California between 2014 and 2017 had declined about 16%. And uh, it seemed to me with the increase generally of population, and although California isn't growing as fast as it used to, there still has been an increase. I just wondered what that reflects, if you have any thoughts about why there would have been that. 16% is pretty sizable decline. Mm-hmm. Are there issues going on here that uh, that you can point to maybe are the statistics telling us something that we haven't seen widely reported or widely known? I mean, I think the statistics are down for unintended pregnancies as well, especially with young people. So, I mean, I think, you know, our hope is it's, it's actually a, a good statistics in terms of um, sex education and availability for reproductive uh-huh. sexual health. Um, which is more widely available. And, you know, in California, we made some really big investments over the last couple of years, um, which has allowed, I know just speaking for Planned Parenthood health centers, those investments allowed for longer hours. For instance, many of our, the, the health centers were able to be open all day on a Saturday, for instance, that they weren't before um, new no. health centers open. So I think availability for those, uh, you know, all Reproductive and sexual health um, allows for better outcomes with unintended pregnancies too. If a woman uh, does want an abortion coming into California, uh, depending on what happens with Roe v. Wade, but coming to California, where should that woman go? Should she go to a Planned Parenthood facility? Are there private clinics? Are there? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do here in California, and so we, um, it's the reason we, I don't know if you guys know, but we we quickly put together this council, the Future to Access to Abortion Council. We did it with a steering committee, the governor's office, the pro tem, the um, speaker was involved to really look at all of these questions and, and get all experts in a room to, to quickly figure out from a patient perspective, how can we um, eliminate barriers? And it ended up being over 40 organizations. I think the final meeting had like 170 participants or something. And we put out a list of recommendations of 45 recommendations um, in a report that just came out like a week ago. Um, But I think one of the things we're trying to do in one of the recommendations was to really have sort of a coordinated, place for all of the resources that are available. So like a landing page that potentially the state um, makes available or public private partnerships, but there are 
Right now, there are resources like um, Access Reproductive Justice, which is an abortion fund resource. If you call them, they'll help with funding needs for travel and services. And then, yeah, our health centers, if you call, we've already started hiring um, abortion navigators and their job is to just help navigate some of those logistical things. But there are private, um, there are other health facilities too. Planned Parenthood provides about half the abortions in California. Some, some private doctors do. There are other, um, you know, women's health centers that also provide, um, services, even some, you know, regular health plan, regular medical uh, clinics um, or medical groups will provide abortions too. It's really dependent on um, each doctor, but, but certainly what you know at a health center like Planned Parenthood or there's other feminist women's health, some of those is that um, somewhere in our health network, we'll find abortion services. So it's a for sure. That's why I think people call so they don't have to keep calling and saying, do you provide it? We, we do. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario, if the Supreme Court does overturn Roe, uh, what do you think will happen on a national organizing level? I mean, I can't imagine that the majority of people, I think last time I checked a abortion was favored or access to abortion was favored by I think close to 70% of Americans. So is there a thought that there would be an attempt to get a a constitutional amendment passed or a, or some sort of law that would enshrine it? Uh, I mean, can you speak to any kind of long-term plans, assuming that things go as, as badly as, as is supposed that they might? Yeah, I mean, there's a bill that has already gone through Congress and it's in the Senate. I think it's, you know, they're working on the Senate on whether an, a, a, a federal protection, uh, the Women's Health Protection Act is what it's called, that whether they can get that through the Senate right now. But it is interesting that should this decision come, you know, in late June is what I think people are expecting. And then the midterms come right after that. I mean, the the polling that I've seen, um, people are overwhelmingly upset about what's happening with the Supreme Court, especially around Roe v. Wade. They overwhelmingly do not want a constitutional right to abortion to be overturned. Um, And we just did some polling here in California, which recognizing it is California, but um, just asked, you know, how people are feeling about it. And the, the vast majority used, um, they were either angry, um, scared, or disappointed. And then in, in the Supreme Court arguments so far around Roe v. Wade. Um, and then the other interesting statistic was about two thirds said that they were proud that California would be a refuge for other folks that that needed service. So, I mean, I I do think it's going to go into the midterms. It's clearly a winning argument. I I think we saw that even in the recall when um, sort of that conversation came when, when, you know, the the opponent um, or the person elder who was running for um, in the recall was very clear that he was anti-choice that he would do what he could, you know, those kind of things. And, and we've seen, 
even though I think people feel pretty comfortable that their rights are protected, you can see what happens when states get defunded and what those um, outcomes are. And I, you know, as people started talking about those issues, I think it um, more people became motivated. So I, I do think it's going to have a huge effect in the in the midterms. Um, like I said, I don't think we've I don't remember when a fundamental right has been taken away. So I, I don't know that we all really know what is the vast outcome for something that's been around for so long when people sort of understand that it really is being taken away and what those effects are. Jody, one last question. Do you have any uh, uh, looking into your crystal ball? Do you have any uh, thoughts about what ultimately the Supreme Court is going to do in June? Probably near the end of its term. That's your expectation. And yeah. uh, just kind of speculate a little bit on what, what do you think happens and what happens next? I think they are going to gut the viability part of Roe v. Wade, which essentially guts um, the heart of it. I think people will try and salvage that and say, well, we didn't ban abortions. We just left it to the states. But I think people, they're trying to say that in Texas. And I think people are sophisticated enough to know that you know, it's having an impact there. I also think that people will start to understand an impact in a different way that, um, you know, not just sort of, I think how we talked about it before, like my body, you can't tell me what to do with my body, my choice, those kinds of things that people are going to really talk about what are the devastating impacts when you're forced to give birth or you take away abortion. And, and, to the point that I was talking with some folks that even here in California, you know, if more than half the country bans a service that that one in four people need, you know, people, pregnant people will need in their lifetime, um, you know, it makes a difference where we send our kids to college, quite honestly, where we send our daughters to college of half the country, they're gonna to have to travel outside of the state for services. It makes a difference in this sort of economy if you take a job that's based in a state like Texas when your insurance coverage no longer covers something that is an essential health care service you might need. I mean, I think it has far reaching impacts that people will sort of slowly get. And again, we've lived our whole life with, with this protection and so, I don't know that we know the full effect, but I think it will be big. And I think there will be, um, you know, elections matter. And I think this is going to matter in the next elections. Great, great. Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood, California. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Well, hold on, John. So uh, Jody, did you want to join us for the worst week or do you want to sign off? No, I can stay. I feel like I'm always Debbie Downer in any conversation I join. So if you're doing something more fun, I'd love to be a part of it. Okay. And thanks for having me. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Hey, this is a serious topic we're talking about this time. We're, so, the, Tim, who was the worst? Who had the worst week? We're talking about. Uh, you know, we have been smacking the redistricting commission who finally appear to have finished their work. So maybe they've had a good week. But uh, we did see notification yesterday that the California Tribal Business Alliance has postponed the annual back session bash, which was scheduled for January of 2022. It is now going to be June 
of 2022. Uh, and kudos to them for taking the science into account and for trying to make this event more safe by not holding it as we have a new wave of uh, a new variant. But I'm fairly certain that this has to really bum out David Quintana. Uh, you know, and I'm sure, uh, Jody, I'm sure you this know. This is serious <laughs> journalism here. You know what I mean? This is serious <laughs> journalism. Yep. You can only yep. find it here. You know what? I got to say, I'm sure more Capital staffers go to the uh, go to the back session bash, then log into CapitalWeekly.net and read hard hitting yes. journalism. Oh. You know, the truth is, I'm sure more more staffers are going to that bash and yeah. getting their two free drink tickets. Uh, so this annual but, event, which is big deal in Sacramento, at least for us, uh, we have a lot of fun there, and it's kind of funny the way the hierarchy works there okay the young people come in to listen to the music and they're mobbed and jammed i come in i can stay exactly one hour and i have to bail out the music is too loud i keep <laughs> telling david we got to get hootie and the blowfish or the cranberries or and, and thank goodness <laughs> one of them david does not listen but uh he, right he doesn't listen to me so he gets a rapper and they're a lot of fun and they've got a great response but this year because of the of COVID-19 and the new variant. There's always a new variant. You can't do it. Um, do you and Paul go to this, go to that thing, right? Uh, sometimes we're, we're in the, <laughs> we're on the side of getting a little too old too. And certainly, uh, but we have been, yeah, many, many years. I mean, I think, I think it has to be a bad week for staffers and, you know, they're, they're, well, they all got kicked out of their offices too recently as they're oh, yeah, all yeah. moving to the annex and they have their yeah. one phone. So I, <laughs> not a great time to be a staffer and then how do you do this in probably june? something they really look forward to so how do you do it in june it doesn't seem like it's back to session it's the midsummer bash well we fall is coming or the budget's approved or what is that how we that went to the the bash uh it wasn't in june i think it was in july uh of this year they had postponed it, was so it from, hot. Yeah. it was quite hot yeah yeah, but it was it was fun. I mean, it was fun. David was still excited. You know, this is like a combination of David Katana's wedding and his birthday and his funeral all in one. And, uh, you know, so he's so excited about it. I can't even imagine right now. He's probably despondent. I don't think he drinks, but he's, you know, if he's going to drink, it's probably right now. That would be the time. <laughs> so anyway, if anyone has any uh, any competing uh, suggestions for worst week, we're open. But, I, you know, for me, I can only imagine a despondent David Katana moping around his office, his, you know, very large office over on K Street. So, yeah. sorry, David. I think we're, we're going to hear from David on this. So, as Tim said, sorry, David. So, <laughs> and back to Jody. Thank you again. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Tim Foster, thank you so much. Thanks, John. And we'll talk and, to our audience, uh, you know, in the new year. Yeah. Thanks for and having me. Howard. Happy holidays. Happy new year. You Definitely. too. Thank you. And it's John Howard saying goodbye. We'll see you next time around. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.